Coming off of one of the best regular seasons in franchise history, the Orioles answer, well, a lot of questions, I would think, last season. But there's a lot more questions to answer in 2024, like can this O's team take the next step? And today on a live mailbag edition of the Locked on Orioles podcast, I want to hear your Orioles questions. Put them in the chat. We'll get to them on a mailbag episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast. You are Locked on Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is, well, if you're watching live on YouTube, it is Sunday, January 7th, 2024. If you're listening to the audio, it is Monday, January 8th, 2024. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are once again doing a live mailbag episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Basically, Put your questions in the chat here on the Locked on Orioles YouTube page. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe as well. And I will get to as many questions as I can here in the 30 minutes I have with you for today's episode. Any topics with the Orioles, even around baseball, even about the podcast as well, if you would like, I'll answer as many as I can on today's episode, which is brought to you by Jace Medical. You can empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50-plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com and use code LOCKEDON to get $20 off your order. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. So this is a little special edition of the podcast here today, not just because it is a live mailbag, but also because recording here on a Sunday night. Now, if you're listening on audio, this won't go up until Monday morning. This kind of counts as our Monday episode, but I thought, you know what? We had a big day of uh, the final day of the NFL season today. The Ravens did not play, but, you know, it's uh, down to the end here of uh, the football window. We got kind of a break between, for the NFL fans, the 4 o'clock games and the Sunday night football game. And I thought, what better time to do a little Orioles mailbag here on the show. So again, I'll get to as many questions as possible. Jump into the chat, leave your questions. I'll get to them and we will talk Orioles. And our first comment of the day uh, is from Hunter. Is not a question But Hunter, as a University of Maryland grad, I feel you. I'm here after watching a terrible Maryland basketball team. Please make me happy. Yeah, this is, um, I was talking to my friends earlier today. This is one of the worst Maryland men's basketball teams in over a decade. Not good. But that's neither here nor there. This is an Orioles podcast. Let's get to an Orioles question from Cuban Map here. Well, had to figure this one was coming. Do you think the Orioles will land Dylan Cease? Now, if the question is, should the Orioles go after and land Dylan Cease? Absolutely, they should. Do I think the Orioles will land Dylan Cease? I'm going to say no. I think that the White Sox have a pretty high asking price. We know that Ken Rosenthal reported on Friday that the Orioles, along with the Yankees, are the kind of sincere bidders right now with the White Sox, but other teams are involved trying to get Cease. I just think at the end of the day that although the White Sox asking price will probably go down once Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery and Shota Imanaga all sign and and all the top free agent pitchers are off the board, I think, you know, eventually it could go down. I don't think they're going to do it this offseason because I think it's just going to be such a high asking price. And maybe he won't get moved because of that at all. And maybe the Orioles will revisit at this year's deadline when they could get Cease for a year and a half. 
I I would love to see it. At this point, I'm leaning no. Got a question from Anthony here. He said, I have a friend who is an Orioles fan. Well, Anthony, you can become an Orioles fan too. And he's wondering what the Orioles would be willing to give up for Jesus Lazardo, Trevor Rogers, and Tanner Scott in a trade. That would be quite a haul for the Orioles. They were able to get Lazardo, Rogers, and Tanner Scott. Now, it would be funny to get Tanner Scott back when two years ago the Orioles traded Tanner Scott along with Cole Salser to the Miami Marlins for a group of four prospects, which has not worked out amazing so far. Though The draft pick they got back, they turned into Judd Fabian, who's already in double A, looking like a pretty good prospect, so that was good, but they didn't get a lot for those guys in that deal. Tanner Scott, however, we know him from his Orioles time. Great stuff from the left side, 99 wipeout slider, couldn't locate the zip code of the strike zone. He found the strike zone, and he was one of the best relievers in all of baseball in 2023 with the Marlins. Now, he's going to be a free agent here pretty soon, so that would take down his value. But if the Orioles could go get Lazardo and Trevor Rogers, a couple of guys with, with two-plus years of control as starting pitchers, and then Tanner Scott at the back end of the bullpen, I think if the Orioles were to make that trade, they would give up a lot. And you know the Marlins would want hitting. The Orioles have a lot of good hitters in that system. I think a trade like that probably starts with Jordan Westberg. I think Cedric Mullins is probably in that deal as well because the Marlins have asked for him a lot in any Marlins-Orioles trade talks over the last few years. And then you're looking at least at one more big-name Orioles position player prospect, potentially Mullins, Kowser, and Westberg all in that deal. And then you would probably throw in a Jorge Mateo to Miami because they're looking for kind of a short-term fix at shortstop too. And then at least one more prospect out of the Orioles system. I would think that would kind of be your starting asking price. If you're getting two controllable starters and a really good lockdown reliever, you got to give up a lot to uh, make that move. Next question is from Jackson, who asks, what do you think is stalling the trade market right now? Not a lot of bigger trade names coming off the board yet. Well, obviously, the Juan Soto trade was by far the, the biggest name that's already happened. The Padres trading him over to the Yankees. And the market started to heat up a little bit over the weekend. The Mariners made tr two trades back on Friday. They sent Robbie Ray to the Giants, got Mitch Hanniger and Anthony Disclafani back. And then they also acquired Luke Raley from the Rays for Jose Caballero. Yes, those aren't the biggest names in the world, but a couple of years ago, I mean, Robbie Ray, one of Cy Young, was one of the top pitchers in baseball. I think it's heating up a little bit. I think the big thing with the trade market is if you're specifically looking at pitchers, because I don't think the Orioles are super interested in trading for hitters right now. They're not really in that market. But if you're talking about pitchers, the number one piece out there is Dylan Cease. And I think everybody who is looking for a starter, and I mean everybody who's looking for a starter on the trade market, is focusing in on Dylan Cease. Now, we know there's a potential, right, that Corbin Burns could be out there with Milwaukee. And there's a potential that guys like I just talked about, Jesus Lazardo and Trevor Rogers and others, could be available from the Marlins. But that number one highest ceiling guy with two years of control is Dylan Cease. And everybody's trying to get Cease and at this point, the White Sox asking price seems to be just so high, and it could come down, it probably will come down, but it's so high right now that that's stonewalling these trade talks. The White Sox are trying to get as much as possible. And there's also been reports that the White Sox may be waiting, as I mentioned, for Snell and Montgomery and others to sign to then maybe even get more from a trade because a team that doesn't get Snell or Montgomery is even more desperate to get a starter and is willing to give up even more prospects in that deal. So those two things combined are stalling it. 
Once the cease trade happens, whether it's to the Orioles or elsewhere, I think any other parts of the trade market will open up. Teams will turn to the Marlins, ask about their guys. Teams will call the Brewers more furiously, although recent reporting has shown that maybe the Brewers won't be trading Corbin Burns this offseason. But either way, I think that's kind of a couple of factors there that are playing into um, the trades just not happening. Question from Hunter here. Unlike Angelos, you lost your lease. Yeah, this is something I've talked about uh, the last week or so on the podcast. If you're watching here on YouTube and you can see behind me, it's basically a blank wall, right? Not all the Orioles stuff that's on the bookshelf behind me or on the walls behind me. Um, I am moving on Wednesday. Now, I'm not sure what the podcast schedule exactly is going to look like this week. Again, I will have three episodes out to you this week, this being the first of the three. Most likely, we'll have one more episode either Tuesday or Wednesday before I move, and then we'll have one post-move episode later in the week. So most likely for the third episode this week, either Thursday or Friday, you will get to see a brand new background. I will be in a brand new house. Uh, didn't lose the lease, just decided to not come back to this one and um, get a new one elsewhere in Baltimore. But if you're saying, why is Connor recording in front of a blank white wall with one little piece of Orioles gear? That is why um, everything at the moment is packed away. All-Star Sky with a question here. Do you think there's a chance the O's go out and get another position player free agent? I do think there's definitely a chance. Mike Elias has still said this offseason, hey, if we're going to get a position player, we'd be looking for a right-handed hitting outfield bat. I think the O's really, and this is kind of a hot take that I don't think a lot of people agree with. I wouldn't be upset if the Orioles went out and got another like major league veteran infield type. Now, hopefully someone it would be a little bit more productive than Rugnet Odor or Adam Frazier has been. But pretty much every single year, they've gone and gotten someone of that ilk. It was Jose Iglesias in 2020. It was Freddie Galvis. And Michael Franco in 2021, it was Rugnet Odor in 2022, and it was Adam Frazier in 2023. Now, obviously, at this point, heading into 2024, all those Orioles infield prospects are either here or are furiously knocking on the door in AAA, and they are ready to be big-time, big-league contributors, which means there's less of a need here. But if you think about the Orioles infield, I mean, Gunnar Henderson is solidified at one of the left-side spots. He'll be playing short and third. We think Jordan Westberg can handle an everyday role, but we didn't really fully see him do it last year, so we don't know yet. And we're unsure how the Orioles are going to handle Jackson Holiday, whether they're going to bring him up on day one, whether he'll be ready on day one. And then you have, of course, plenty of question marks about Jorge Mateo, about Ramon Arias, and about what the Orioles think of Joey Ortiz because he spent so much time down in AAA. And because of that, I wouldn't mind if there was a veteran placeholder who at least played a good amount like in the first half of the season next year before they were knew what Holiday, Ortiz, Arias, Westberg, Mayo, Norby, all of them were going to be in 2024. But I think more so the right-handed hitting outfielder would be the position player free agent that the Orioles would target. There's guys who are still out there who interest me. The big money guy would be Jorge Soler. I really want him on the Orioles. I don't know if that move is going to happen. At this point, we shall see, but honestly, wouldn't mind if they brought Aaron Hicks back. Truly would not mind if Aaron Hicks was in an Orioles uniform once again. Thought he brought a lot to this team, off the field, on the field. Would not hate it at all. Thank you for your questions so far. We are going to continue with this live mailbag. Again, put your questions here in the chat, and I will get to as many of them as I can here on this live mailbag episode. And that will continue here coming up right after the break. But first, 
This episode, this live episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. Now, as I am recording here, we have just one, just one NFL game left in the regular season, deciding uh, one of the divisions in the AFC on Sunday night. It's been a great year for the Ravens, right? Number one seed in the AFC. But with the NFL regular season wrapping up, there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets. That's guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. And the app, it is just so easy to use, and there's so many different ways to bet. Like live, same-game parlays, you can find bets in the new Explore tab, and you can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays. And there is just so, so much more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and make your first bet a layup at FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. So it is a live mailbag Q&A episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Thank you all so much for joining us here on a special Sunday evening edition. Again, if you have Orioles questions, put them right here in the chat if you're listening, watching on YouTube. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked On Orioles YouTube page. Put your comments in the chat. We will get to your mailbag questions as I got a lot of them coming in here. We will get to the next one. This one coming from Luke saying, is Kobe Big Dog Mayo? I am unsure if Kobe Mayo's official nickname is Big Dog, but I'll take it for now. Is Kobe Big Dog Mayo making an appearance for the O's this year or will he even be in the organization? I don't think he's an opening day guy. I think he's going to spend much more time in AAA Norfolk throughout the year. He could be traded, right, if the O's want to really go and get a top-of-the-line starting pitcher. But I will say yes. At some point in August, September, late in the year, I think Kobe Mayo does get to the big leagues with the Orioles. Question from Dante and Kyler here. I am sure you answer this a bunch, but I haven't heard it. Who is your favorite Orioles player of all time? And whose game do you like watching the most that's on the current team? Well, my favorite Oriole of all time, just in general, this is an easy pick for a lot of people, but Adam Jones, just his arrival kind of signaled things moving in the right direction for the Orioles. He was part of the one, one of the best Orioles trades in history. And him being here was kind of the rise and fall of those Buck Showalter era Orioles. I loved Adam Jones. I loved what he did for this team, what he did for this city. I hated how it ended with Adam Jones and the Orioles. I mean, John Angelos and the front office were not speaking to Adam Jones for years. They were not allowing people to even mention Adam Jones. I love that they have reconciled that relationship and Jones has come back with his family and he's got the podcast and he throws out the first pitch. I just love everything about Adam Jones. Uh, just kind of a, a perfect player for the Baltimore Orioles. But there were other guys who were, were lesser than in terms of players than Jonesy that I really enjoyed. I was a big Ryan Flaherty guy. Um, I was a big Robert Andino guy um, back in the day, as I'm sure many of you were as well. Um, a lot of Orioles that I just really enjoyed to watch. Uh, but, you know, Ryan Flaherty, kind of a meme with the Orioles fans, and I kind of certainly bought into that. And then there was my first favorite Oriole, like the guy that was on the team when I was first aware of the O's, and that was B.J. Surhoff. That was round two of B.J. Surhoff in Baltimore. It was kind of my first favorite Oriole as well. And then whose game do you like watching the most that's on the current team? 
I mean, Gunnar Henderson's ridiculous. How, how can you not say Gunnar Henderson? But when he's on, Cedric Mullins playing defense and then Cedric Mullins at the plate, I would say on the current team, really the 2021 version of Cedric Mullins, that was the game I like watching the most by far. And then I just really enjoy Adley Rutschman. When I played baseball through high school, I was a catcher my entire life. So I enjoy that Rutschman is kind of, you know, cream of the crop at the position as well. Another question here, just asking a pretty simple one. What is Jackson Holiday's ceiling? Jackson Holiday's ceiling is a Hall of Famer, is a slam dunk Hall of Famer. That is what Jackson Holiday's ceiling is. I mean, you're asking me ceiling, how good can he be? He can be a Hall of Famer. That is how good, that is the skills he has at age 19 to be one of the best hitters in the league year after year, a perennial all-star, an MVP candidate every single season. That is how good Jackson Holiday can be. Will he be that good? We shall see. The Major League journey should start early this year, but, you know, he could be that, that good. Question from Scouts Den here, mostly just asking what would the cost be of Corbin Burns, and mentioning Corbin Burns isn't happy with the Brewers. Corbin Burns is not happy with the Brewers. He's got one year remaining on his deal. He's a free agent after 2024. He's going to make, you know, about $15 million in 2024. The O should be very much willing to pay that. But the reporting around it seems like the Brewers are going to keep Burns for now. I think the relationship issue is that he is not going to re-sign with Milwaukee. Once he becomes a free agent after this year, he's not going back. Yes, he does have a great cutter, great changeup, great curveball. His stuff is incredible. The cost would honestly be less than Dylan Cease, probably because although he's a little bit better of a pitcher, he only has that one year of control left. It could be a similar cost, but you'd have to give him some big-name prospects. I haven't looked into it nearly as much lately with Corbin Burns just because I think it seems like Milwaukee's going to hold on to him at this point now Walter's got a question and kind of similar to the Jackson holiday question ditto for the what is Kobe Mayo's upside question I saw him uh, hit a Chris Davis style sounds like a fly out but actually a home run bomb to the opposite field in Norfolk seems like serious power yeah Kobe Mayo has serious power and his upside I think this is a pretty good mention by Walter like he has the potential to be right-handed prime Chris Davis. That is exactly what his upside is. Now, I'm not talking about terrible fall-apart Chris Davis. I'm talking about prime 2012, 2013, 2015 Chris Davis from the right side, where he is spraying the ball with incredible power to all fields. When he pulls the ball, you won't believe how far and how hard he hits it. And... He's sneaky better defensively than you think. Chris Davis was always much better defensively at first base than we ever thought. And if you remember, in 2012, when Nick Markakis got hit by the pitch in the hand from CC Sabathia, Chris Davis was playing right field for the Orioles down the stretch when they had Mark Reynolds at first and Jim Tomei at DH. Yeah, we're pulling up some old Orioles here. And Chris Davis, you know, he was defensively replaced late in games by Andy Chavez and others. But Chris Davis was playing right field because he's more athletic than you think. Word is that Kobe Mayo has been working out a lot in right field this offseason, probably to give himself a faster track to the majors. There's a little bit faster track in the outfield than there is in the infield at the moment for Baltimore. And you know what? If he can hold his own out there, let's do it. Let's get him to the bigs. But yeah, right-handed prime Chris Davis, I could certainly see it. Question from Permanently Temporary here. Hey, Connor, thoughts on D.L. Hall as a potential closer? Kimbrell obviously brought in for the role, but if he falters or even if he doesn't, I see closer stuff in Hall to you at all. I absolutely do. I've been a huge believer in D.L. Hall from day one. I, for pretty long here, have continued to say, let him try to start, let him try to start. I think he can do it. I'm not against the Orioles 
in spring training, continuing to let him vie for that number five starter job when they get to Sarasota in about six weeks. However, I think at this point, I've decided the future of D.L. Hall is a lockdown late inning reliever. And you know, you're right here on the question. The Orioles brought in Craig Kimbrell for one year to replace Felix Bautista and be the veteran closer they need in the back of the bullpen without Felix. But if Kimbrell does struggle, like he wouldn't get DFA'd or anything, but if he does get moved to a seventh or eighth inning role because he's not quite cutting it in the ninth inning, there's other options, right? Cano, Tyler Wells. But D.L. Hall would certainly be one of those options for me. And as long as Felix Bautista is healthy and on the team, he's the closer. But there's a chance this year for D.L. Hall to take that role. He can get righties out and lefties out as a left-hander. You need to do that as a lefty closer. He can do it. I think because of that, he'll get some chances. He's gotten some chances the last two years, and he's looked solid in those, you know, closing it out in the ninth inning. I think he'll get some shots here. Jackson with another question here. What do you think is the most surprising move the Orioles will make, either acquiring someone or trading a current player? It's a good question. I don't know how surprising a move they could make because at this point the fan base is just wanting another arm, right? We want another starting pitcher, a good starting pitcher, a top-of-the-rotation starting pitcher. So even if the O's went and got Corbin Burns, Jesus Lazardo, Dylan Cease, it would be mildly surprising. But because we've talked about it so much this offseason, it wouldn't be like the biggest shock in the world. Oh my gosh, they made that move. Like, even the Cole Irvin trade last year was kind of shocking because we heard, hadn't heard any rumors, but it made sense because they needed starting pitching and getting a starting pitcher who had had success in the big leagues and had four years of team control left and you didn't give up too, too much. At the end of the day, the move made sense. So if you're looking for a shocking move or a surprising move, I think the most surprising move they could make is actually trading away one of their players for minor leaguers this offseason. I still think it could happen, whether it's one of the relievers, someone who you know maybe is getting squeezed out of this bullpen and they think they can get something for him, like a Mike Bauman kind of player or a CNL Perez kind of player, or if they can find a trade partner for a Jorge Mateo, a Ramon Arias type player, potentially an Austin Hayes this offseason, where they can unload them and not get major league help right now, but get prospects, and I don't know how I'd feel about a trade like that, but to open it up for a younger player, I think that would be a little more surprising just because, listen, a 100-win team isn't usually trading away from its major leaguers, but I could certainly see something like that happening this offseason. Another question from Dante and Kyler. Is your moving situation going good? It is going good. Again, got the place. We got it. We're moving in on Wednesday. Feeling good about it. Got a little more space. Staying in Baltimore. Unfortunately, not in walking distance of Camden Yards anymore, but you take what you can get. Still a nice place. But speaking of moving, do you think the A's have anything more valuable to trade? People have been asking that question because generally, you know, a rebuilding team like the A's that's in the dumps, they're going to trade away their better players and get prospects for it. And the O's went and got Cole Irvin last year in the offseason. They went and got Shintaro Fujinami from the A's right before the deadline last year. At this point, there is not much left. I mean, Paul Blackburn is maybe the one starter you can go after. Or if they're interested in dealing J.P. Sears, another left-hander who I think has like four years of control left, maybe. Other than that, I mean, if you think you can get more out of Seth Brown, a left-handed hitting like corner outfield slash first base guy who's had his stats go down as the A's have completely tanked over the past few years, I, there's not a lot left there from Oakland. I, I don't know if I see an O's trade happening with the A's, although they made two in the year 2023. There's just nothing left on that roster. John Fisher has just done horrible things to that team, that organization. It's just, it's not going to happen over there, I don't think. There's just nothing left. There's just nothing left. 
Got to get to one more break here, but don't worry. Keep it coming with the Orioles questions. We'll get to as many as I can on this live mailbag coming up after this next break in the show. And then we'll finish off this Sunday night mailbag. So we'll get back to it in a second. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by Jace Medical. Now, I talked about Jace Medical at the top of the show as well. But Jace Medical can truly help you out with all the craziness that comes with life at this point. You can't imagine a, a more helpless feeling sometimes than, you know, kids, family members getting sick. There's a supply chain issue and you can't get the medication they need. Well, Jace Medical has the Jace case, which is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses. You can visit jacemedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It'll be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It has never been more important to be prepared than today. So go to jacemedical.com and use offer code Locked On to get $20 off your order. Back here on a Sunday night live mailbag episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Thanks to all of you who are in the comments, tuning in live here on the Locked On Orioles YouTube page. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe as well. Continue to get your questions in. I'm going to try my best to get to every question we've got here. Luke with the next one. Is there any more talk on Angelo's possibly selling? Was that even real? Yes, it was real. David Rubenstein has been interested for a few years now, it seems, and he is still interested in buying the Orioles, the local billionaire worth over $6 billion, his net worth. He would certainly, I think, up the financial standing of the Orioles if he did take over the team. But I think the talk at this point is what it's been the last few weeks. If John Angelo sells, and I don't know if he wants to, certainly, especially after reading the article in the Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks ago and everything we've seen, his mom, Georgia, wants to sell. His dad, Peter, his wish is that when he passes away, he wants the boys to sell the team so his wife and his sons can just retire and enjoy the money. It seems like John Angelos doesn't want to sell the team, but nothing's going to happen until Peter Angelos dies, and he is not in good health at this point. He hasn't been for years now, but just because of tax reasons and, and other decision purposes, while Peter Angelos is still alive, I think nothing is, is going to happen at that point. Get this question a lot, but get it here from Jackson. Do you think the Orioles extend any of the big, younger pieces? This offseason, no. We'll see if things would change, but at this point, no. Chris Silver asks, does Gunnar Henderson make top three in AL MVP votes? I'm going to say yes for this season. What he did after that slow six-week start to just turn it on, be incredible down the stretch, win AL Rookie of the Year, and there's so much more to unlock. I mean, I've talked about it a little bit. He can still hit lefties better. He's playing incredible defense at short and third. He could win MVP next year. Like, especially with Shohei Otani out of the American League, he could win MVP next year. It is not out of the question. That is how good Gunnar Henderson has been and will continue to be. Hunter asks, can only keep one, Mountcastle or O'Hearn, who stays? It's Ryan Mountcastle. Uh, for multiple reasons. If you're talking about 
looking at the contracts, I mean, Mountcastle's got three more years. O'Hearn is a free agent after 2024. So if you're asking me for right now, I'm keeping the guy who's going to be here for longer. And also, Ryan Mountcastle's just been more productive for more years. O'Hearn was a disaster with the Royals for five years. Then he comes to Baltimore and was great this season. But although the Orioles certainly changed some things, you never know if that's sustainable. I know Mountcastle has gone through his peaks and valleys, and he dealt with, you know, multiple times the vertigo issue in 2023, and you're not quite sure how that's going to impact him moving forward. There's just more of a track record for Mountcastle, and he's younger as well. I take him over Ryan O'Hearn at this point. Question from Wyatt, will you be putting out an episode around the January 15th international signing announcement? Seems like the O's will be reeling in several quality talents. I will. I'll be honest with you, I won't know much about these guys more than what I read in, you know, fan crafts and MLB.com and Baseball America about them. Check out uh, the Orioles on the Verge podcast with covers the minor leagues even better as well. But I will talk about kind of the big names, what the Orioles gave up money-wise and and when they could potentially um, get to the big leagues. Another good question here from All-Star Sky. Do you think Fujinami has a big enough ceiling to warrant bringing him back? I think he does, to be honest. Now, he'd have to be willing to take a one-year deal. He'd have to be willing to take, you know, probably one or two million dollars. And also, the talk late last year was Fujinami, remember, when he was signed by the A's last offseason to come from NPB, leave Japan, come to the U.S., he signed as a starter, and it failed miserably as a starter. He went in the bullpen, got better, and then, you know, he had his off moments, but certainly had his on moments in the pen. That stuff is so good. That fastball changeup combination throws a hundred. If he can command it just a little bit, he can be a really good reliever. I think it's still worth taking a chance if he's willing to be a reliever. But if he wants a chance to start, it's just it's not going to happen in Baltimore. I know they need a starter, but it's not going to be on a guy who was that bad as a starting pitcher and has that many command issues. But I, I would take the chance if he was uh, potentially willing to go for a smaller deal and be a relief pitcher once again. Chris with the question, which team would you like the O's to play in the 2024 World Series? I love a question where we just can assume that the Orioles are in the World Series. I love it. Thank you, Chris. Which team would I like to see the O's play? Uh, Honestly, I'd like to see them play the Colorado Rockies next year in the World Series because if I'm thinking about what team could get to the World Series and the O's would have the best chance to win? Well, probably the Colorado Rockies, the biggest disaster organization in baseball. But the Colorado Rockies aren't getting to the World Series. So among the teams that would realistically be able to get there, I think that's a really good question. I think I would like to see them play the Dodgers, not because it'd be the best chance to win because that's going to be a super team. But just to see what they can do in a seven-game series, because they only get to play the Dodgers in one three-game series next year. What they could do in a seven-game series against that Dodgers team would be really interesting. That would probably be my answer at this point. Another question from Jackson. Do you think if the Orioles don't make a big move this offseason that they will be an active player in the trade deadline next season? I do. Yeah. Honestly, whether or not they make a big move, they're going to be active at the trade deadline because... You're going to want to add on the margins, and you never know what's going to happen, right? Guys are going to get injured. You're going to have a better look at your team in July than you do right here in January. And the O's are going to do something, right? You would think, even though it was just Fujinami and Jack Flaherty, they did something to try to improve the team this year. didn't work out super well, but they would definitely still look. And even if they don't get Dylan Cease, right, I think they could still try to look to a a Dylan Cease type and um, try and try and pick him up right? He might be a a little cheaper when you only have to get him for a year and a half uh, instead of two years. 
could definitely happen, or it could be something just a little less than that. Really good question here from Chris. Which baseball podcast beside your own do you enjoy listening to? This seems like a good time to open up the Apple Podcast app. Yes, I am an Apple Podcast user, not a Spotify user. Although I I use Spotify for music, but Apple Podcasts is the go-to for me. And let's pull up my other baseball podcasts. I will warn you, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Not only do I record and host and produce a podcast, but I listen to a good amount of them as well. Let's see, Fair Territory is Ken Rosenthal's show. It's about 30 minutes per week on Mondays. Uh, It's just really good to hear Ken kind of talk through what he's hearing around the league, different things, different rumors. Just nice to hear straight from Ken Rosenthal. I mentioned them multiple times, but Orioles on the Verge, Bob Phelan, Nick Stevens, Zach Spedden do a great job. Uh, hosting a podcast that talks about the entire Orioles system, a lot of minor leagues, a little bit of major leagues that listen to them every week. I'm an effectively wild listener. I know a lot of you out there are as well. Fangraphs podcast with Ben Lindbergh and Meg Rowley. They talk about the game. They talk about the stats. They talk about the players, but they also get incredibly silly a lot of the time, which is a, a nice break from just like the hardcore baseball talk. It's three episodes a week. Some of them are very long. It's a lot to listen to. I do listen to every episode when I can finally get to it. Uh, My number one baseball podcast, and because I know them and enjoy all of their content they put out, is Baseball Barbacast through SiriusXM. That is the podcast done by Jordan Schusterman and Jake Mintz of Cespedes Family Barbecue. Of course, Jake is a big Orioles fan. I mean, that podcast is phenomenal. If you like baseball, if you like podcasts, please go listen to Baseball Barbacast. That is a phenomenal podcast. And then let's see, we got a few more baseball ones on here. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an audio head. I have you know a longer commute sometimes. I'm doing things. I throw the AirPods in. I listen to podcasts. I listen to Rates and Barrels at The Athletic. It's The Athletic's fantasy baseball style podcast, but it's Derek Van Riper and Eno Saris. I love Eno Saris. They do a great job just breaking down baseball from a fantasy side, but also from an on-the-field side as well. I subscribe to The Athletic Baseball Show. That is all of the Athletic Baseball podcasts. They have like five or six of them. I only listen to certain ones. I pretty much only listen to the Roundtable, which is just a fantastic, just, it's just bit after bit with baseball talk thrown in there. It's Andy McCullough, Mark Craig, Grant Bursby of The Athletic. They are great. And I also listen to the 3-0 show, which is the same Eno Saris and Derek Van Riper, but also Britt Giroli, who used to cover the Orioles, is on that pod as well. And then sometimes I listen to Starkville, which is Jason Stark and Doug Glanville's podcast, when they do have a good guest on that show. Um, I'm a big college baseball fan as well. Worked in college baseball in school uh, with the University of Maryland team. So I listen to the D1 baseball podcast. They do a great job of just keeping me updated on college baseball, especially when it gets into the major league season. And then tipping pitches. I'm a big tipping pitches listener. Uh, That is Bobby Wagner and Alex Baisley. That is basically a labor-focused, I would say leftist-focused baseball podcast. Um, That is a great one that those two do as well. That was a great question from Chris that took up a lot of time at this mailbag, but I do enjoy listening to baseball podcasts. Let's see. We got time for a few more questions here. Let's see. Going through the questions, looking for some interesting other ones. All right. Let's uh, go to a former guest of the Locked on Orioles podcast, Vivek Shukla, who said, is there any intrigue in taking two years 26 million of Tyler Anderson's contract in hope of getting him back to his 2022 form I would take it I mean I don't know what that deal would end up looking like 
from the Angels, but two years, 26 million for Tyler Anderson. At the very least, you can get like a solid left-hander. And again, maybe he can back, get back into that form. And if you're looking at what guys are getting in the open market, like yes, Lucas Giolito does have a high ceiling, but he got two years, 38 million. Yes, Frankie Montas used to be good, but he's coming off major shoulder surgery with a lot of questions. And although he only got a one-year deal, it was worth 16 million. If you can get Tyler Anderson for two years worth 13 million, I think a move like that could certainly be worth it for the Orioles. And it could be an interesting way to get around the fact that they feel like, oh, the cease asking price is too high, whatever it may be. Maybe they could pivot to someone like Tyler Anderson. Ryan Moody with a question here. Actually answered this in the last mailbag, I believe, but I'll get to it again. Any ideas how Stowers can still fit in? The Orioles still somewhat believe because he's still on the 40-man roster, but it's going to take, I think, an injury somewhere or, or a trade of Santander or a trade of Hayes or an injury to one of those guys. There's just there's so many options in the outfield, Hayes, Santander, Mullins. Then you have you know Heston Kerstad, Colton Kowser ready to go, and then you still have Ryan McKenna and Sam Hilliard on that roster. It's just going to be tough for Stowers, but some sort of injury could open the door for him to get more at-bats. And then what he would have to do basically is prove it in those at-bats that he can still hang. Because remember, he got a little bit of a chance at the big leagues last year, and he was, what, two for 30 before the Orioles set him down? And he had some really bad injury luck last season. But still, yeah, unsure. Question from Joe Jorge, holding his own in winter ball. He is. He's having a nice time in the Dominican Winter League right now. Think that makes his spot solid now over McKenna? It's a good question. It's something I've talked about actually last week on the podcast. Still not solid because I think the O's still want to make sure he can play not just center field, but they'll probably want to make sure he can play some left and right field. Because remember, Ryan McKenna, although he dropped that ball at Fenway, plays a really good left, center, and right field. He plays all three positions in the outfield. We've only seen Jorge in center so far, at least in the last year. But if they feel like he could play a little bit of right or left, it could be solidifying it just a little bit more at this point. We've got, let's see, time for maybe one or two more questions. Question from J-Man here. How many games will you go to this year? I went to 20 games last year, including the two playoff games. I believe the Orioles were 10-10 and 10 when I was at the ballpark. Not terrible, not great, but for a team that won 101 games, uh, it's tough that uh, they went 10 and 10 when I was there because I'm not in walking distance from the stadium. I'll tell you right now, most likely I won't make it to 20 games. My goal to start will be, I got to get to at least 10. That will be the goal. Get at to at least 10 of the 81 and then some playoff games as well. And then we'll go from there. I would think I probably fall in around 12, 13 games just because when you have to drive there instead of walking there, it's, it's just a little bit harder, right? To get to the stadium night after night when you can't just uh, walk down the street and walk into the stadium. All right, we'll get one more question here from Chris to finish things off. Chris with the fire questions in tonight's mailbag. How did you become an Orioles fan? Uh, both my parents grew up in the Baltimore area. Both my parents were at the game where Cal Ripken tied Lou Gehrig's record. Both of my parents have been huge Orioles fans. That is passed down from their parents who were huge Orioles fans. My granddad on my dad's side was a huge O's fan. He would get tickets from his work, his boss's tickets, and it would be basically four of us together, and we'd be 12, 13 rows behind the away dugout, and we'd go three, four times a year. And this was back in the mid-2000s when the Orioles were terrible, but I was already a kid who loved baseball. I was already a kid who loved the local teams. And just going to that ballpark, just fell in love with that team. They were terrible. Like, they were horrible. 
I was born in November of 97, which means I was not alive for a winning season until 2012 happened. So that was quite a moment for me to see that team get to the postseason. But yeah, even before that, you know, it was watching, right? BJ Ryan and Jorge Julio and Ty Wigginton. It was watching Corey Patterson and Jay Gibbons and BJ Surhoff and Cesar Torres and Melvin Moore and Miguel Tejada. Those, like, those were the guys. Javi Lopez, Ramon Hernandez. It was watching those guys that made me fall in love with the Orioles. And then the more recent versions, the Buck years and this era, a whole lot better baseball, right? But I was, I was in love when they were losing 90 games a year. And uh, it just continued on here at this point. But we went a little longer than usual, about a 40-minute episode. But thank you for sticking with us here on YouTube if you stuck around the whole way. We'll do a few more of these live mailbags throughout the offseason and some regular mailbags as well. So if you have further questions that I didn't get to, I know I didn't get to every question in the chat. We got to uh, about 40 minutes here. So got to wrap it up. But again, if you have a question in the chat that you want to answer on a future mailbag or you have a question you haven't asked yet but you want to hear it answered, email me, lockedonorioles at gmail.com, or you can put it in the YouTube comments. And anything about the show, any thoughts you have about it, whatever it may be about the Orioles, email me at lockedonorioles at gmail.com. And still will be in the description of this podcast is that end of year 2023 Orioles survey. I want to hear your feedback about the Orioles and about the podcast. You have a lot of space to give some feedback there. I'll link it in the show notes here. But that'll do it for today's episode. Again, I'll be back for two more pods this week. We'll talk a little Orioles news and notes. O's connected to two pitchers over the last few days. Ryan Brazier, an interesting reliever, and Marcus Stroman, who could be an interesting fit in the rotation. We'll talk about that coming up. Looks like we'll have a Tuesday episode when I am back. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.